Well, good morning. My parents believed in God, but I don't think they knew that much about him. They did, however, send me to church Sunday school, which is where I first heard about Jesus. In my teenage years, other influences brought me into contact with different views of God. Many friends and cousins were atheists and held philosophical views that were anti-God. Now, they were persuasive and their ideas seemed more rational at the time. So I became like them, a faith skeptic. In my middle years at high school, I was diagnosed with extreme emotional stress and anxiety and I often stay in my room worrying and trying to figure things out. At 16, I remember beginning to read books on philosophy by Immanuel Kant and others like David Hume. I became not an atheist, but what I'd now call a negative realist. Yet I found no comfort in these worldviews and remained anxious and stressed. Then in my 18th year, I stumbled upon a small, old, dusty Bible in a box in our garden shed. Had a leather cover, gold-edged pages, and a red silk bookmark that was placed at the beginning of the New Testament. So I began there, reading the gospel stories about Jesus. His teaching made sense. His life was intriguing. His death was tragic. His resurrection stunning. And I found his call to follow his example compelling. I was in a search for meaning, so I committed to learning the words and ways of Jesus. I wanted to know more about God, the Bible, faith, and the implications for the world I lived in. What I didn't realize was that my whole life was about to change for the better. My mum told me at the time that she didn't know what had happened to me, but almost overnight, I became a positive, cheerful and not anxious young man. But I still wrestled with views of friends and family who were not Christians and who thought I'd gone nuts. My mind longed to reconcile their beliefs and philosophies on life with the faith I'd found. And so began a lifelong learning process that led me to complete degrees in sociology and theology and politics and philosophy. I wanted to find answers to questions like, is it reasonable to believe in God? Now, just want to say up front, I am no expert philosopher or theologian. I just know enough to know I still have a lot to learn. But here's what I've discovered so far. The Christian faith is not a matter of believing without reason. And non-God beliefs and philosophies are not more rational or scientific worldviews. Non-God ideas and philosophies are simply sets of beliefs that themselves require steps of faith. So we must compare them with Christianity to determine which makes most sense of life, which ones offer more meaning, satisfaction, freedom, identity, hope, and justice. And so to today's question, is it reasonable to believe in God? Well, to answer this, we must also ask, what evidence is there? What proofs and clues are there that an all-powerful, eternal, infinite being actually exists? And here's the challenge for us all. If that evidence exists, we must have the courage to rethink what we previously believed 
and then change our minds and lives accordingly. Now, traditionally, it is expected that believers provide non-believers with proof God exists. Yet believers understand God as a being outside of the material, provable universe. That is, his existence cannot be proven empirically as if he were a physical object in a test tube. But religious philosophers argue that God's existence can be inferred logically. In the same way, scientific theories, especially in physics, are established. For example, you know, theory X is more reasonable than theory Y if it explains the data better. Now, this is not conclusive proof, but it is the way most of our scientific theories are established, including theories about waves and light and particles and molecules. In a similar way, arguments for God's existence contend that belief in God actually makes more rational sense of the world than do arguments for non-belief. Why? Because they give a better account of the data because they give more reasonable evidence for God and of what we see and know about the world we live in. Now, if you're a genuine seeker of truth, you'll find many evidences for the existence of God. I don't have time to cover them all today, but they're evidences in the realms of natural law, metaphysics, biology, economics, astronomy, etc. Eminent Christian philosopher Alvin Platinga suggests that there are more than two dozen philosophical arguments for God's existence. They're worth looking up. Allow me to share the three main evidences that my searching has discovered, and that is the evidence of morality, the evidence of cosmology, and the evidence of design. And I'll explain each of these as we go along. Firstly, the evidence of morality. It was Plato who said, there are two things that lead men to believe in God, the argument from the existence of the soul and the argument from the order of the motion of the stars. In other words, he was talking about anthropology and cosmology. Firstly, to anthropology or the moral progress of humanity. The first evidence for the existence of God is to be found in people and in our appeal to fair play, decency or moral behaviour. And you can observe this even in the youngest of children at play. We constantly appeal to an unspoken yet universally agreed upon understanding that there is an objective standard of fair and that we should follow those rules. Author C.S. Lewis asks, well, who told children about these rules? No one, nor did anyone have to. They are predisposed to believe them. It is built within them, and it is innate in us all. There is an indisputable, transcendent view of morality that spans across cultures and time. The Christian worldview says that this came from God, an all-powerful, eternal, infinite, and moral being. Now, skeptics push back against this, saying morals don't transcend culture, but are a product of it. You know, what one person believes is right and true for them, and it's not necessarily true for everyone. But under analysis, this view is shown to be both philosophically and logically flawed. 
you know, to embrace relativistic morality means you can't get angry at th things that seem unjust. You can't say that one view, for instance, on abortion or on climate is better or more right than another under this view. The best a skeptic can say is that, well, they don't agree with you. But then logically, why would they care what you or anyone else believes? Great minds like C.S. Lewis and Immanuel Kant would say we do care. Because there is a moral law that transcends cultural value and human experience, that there is an absolute right and wrong in the universe. The very fact that something within us is repelled by murder and racism, sexism and poverty begs the question that such convictions have to come from somewhere. Universal existence of such convictions is strong evidence for the existence of a moral God, a being who placed within us a moral law which includes the love of all people. It even sometimes takes us to a place of self-sacrifice for the sake of others. And that is what it means to have the heart of God stitched into our very being. Returning to Plato's thesis, the second thing that leads men to believe in God is the argument from the order of the motion of the stars, as he put it, or as it is known today, cosmology. So what is the evidence of cosmology? Well, cosmology up front is the study of the origins and development of the universe. And from the times of Aristotle and Plato, the concept of contingency has directed our cosmology. Now, it's the idea that if something begins to exist, its existence depends on something outside of itself that pre-existed it and caused it to come into being. Now, on this thought, scientists and philosophers, both atheists and believers, agree. So what is this non-contingent, infinite, uncaused something that has always existed, that had no beginning, but began everything else? Believers, of course, would reference the scripture. In Psalm 8, we read, God, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? For most of history, the atheist's response was, well, you don't need God to start the universe. The universe started itself. And this was pretty indisputable until in 1929, a little-known astronomer called Edward Hubble used his mega-telescope to discover that the universe itself actually began to exist at a point of time. It became known as the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> that's not the TV show, that's the science. Now, Hubble saw that galaxies were moving rapidly away from each other in a universe more vast than anyone had ever imagined. And he theorised that they were flung apart by a massive explosion. In doing so, he deduced what modern science now takes as fact, that all galaxies, planets, energy and matter had a common point of origin approximately 15 billion years ago. And more amazing was Hubble's deduction that the galaxies were not just receding into time and space, but were at rest in the universe. They were receding because the universe itself is expanding. What? 
Well, it is of some interest to me that the Big Bang Theory was originally rejected by pretty much all major fields of science, not because of the data, but because of its implications for human existence. It was originally rejected because it seemed to give credence to the Judeo-Christian idea of a beginning to the world, which required a supernatural creation. It took decades of observational evidence and careful verification of Hubble's theories to convince the scientific community of the idea of a cosmic genesis. What is the logical answer to what caused the Big Bang? What, if you like, is its contingency? Its cause was something outside of the material universe. In other words, the universe was caused by mind, not matter. And that's where the evidence points. And that is what Christianity has claimed from its earliest days. You know, the scientist who mapped the human genome, Francis Collins, agrees with this. He said, the Big Bang cries out for a divine explanation. It forces the conclusion that nature had a defined beginning. I cannot see how nature created itself. Only a supernatural force outside of space and time could have done that. Well, a little bit heavy so far, so thanks for hanging in there with me today. Now, granted, it's a lot to take in, but if we're going to ask big questions, we need to take a bit of time to give a, a proper answer. But there's still one more evidence. So let's look at the evidence for God from the viewpoint of design. Author Mark Clark states, there is a strange and mysterious design to the cosmos, an anti-randomness that points to a designer who created and crafted the world with very intentional precision and balance. Skeptics reject the evidence of design as being more about chance and luck. But in my investigations and searching, I can't justify the magnitude of the leap of faith it takes to believe that. Science tells us that to look at the DNA of any living organism sees it is packed with coherent, structured and information-filled codes. Even a single-cell amoeba has enough data to fill laptops of memory. It is so profound an evidence for the existence of an intelligent mind that the DNA scientist Francis Collins says, DNA is the language of God. The famous philosopher William Paley used this illustration. Imagine you were walking along a beach and found some driftwood. You had rightly assumed it was from a distant tree. But if you continued your walk, and found a mechanical watch with all the complexity of its moving parts and pieces, you would probably deduce someone had designed it that way and it was not a product of chance or accident. Paley asserts that the same logic is true of the design of our universe and to humanity itself. The mathematical chance of our universe ever coming into existence are so tiny as to be at the level of the miraculous. And that's his point. The chances of all the necessary life-permitting variables to be in place to birth the universe are so low that even non-religious scientists say it cries out for an explanation beyond science. 
Even notable atheist Richard Dawkins has admitted, the question of what pre-exists the laws of physics is beyond physics to explain. On this point, God believers have a more rational answer than atheists. Mind came before matter. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we read, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. Renowned scientist Stephen Hawking says it this way, If the rate of expansion after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part in 100,000 million millionths, the universe would have recollapsed and ceased to exist. The odds against the universe emerging out of something like a Big Bang are enormous. I think there are religious implications. Well, in summary, I believe there are several well-tested evidences for why we can know with a high level of confidence that God exists. In this series, so I've always wanted to ask, we want to pose significant questions about life. And if your desire is to follow the evidence, then on this question of, is it reasonable to believe in God? Our answer is yes. And on the evidence of morality, cosmology and design, we must reinsert God into the creation frame.